0: to the pharmacy podcast network.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Resi Prep 360 Podcast, the Road to Match Day series. I am your host, Sally Treyori Ualaka, and this is your premier podcast for all things residency. This series was designed with you, the candidate in mind, to meet your needs and help guide you through the very convoluted residency process. On each episode, we talk about pragmatic ways to help you secure the position you want and bring you some insight from educators as well as thought leaders in the pharmacy residency space. I am so glad that you're joining us today and that you're here. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell all of your friends about the podcast. It is our hope to reach as many prospective candidates as possible. Thank you so much for being here. Help us spread the word and please enjoy today's episode. Hi, Corezzis. This is Sally Treori Oalaka. I am your host for the Road to Match Day podcast. And welcome to episode two of the Road to Match Day series on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm so excited that you're listening to today's episode. Thank you for being here. Um, it is December. We are here in... December and mid-year is upon us, and I really feel like this is one of those episodes um, that's going to have a lot of information for you, but I think it's necessary information. And we're going to cover so much today, and we're going to cover quite a bit today. And what I've done is to go ahead and organize the information in a way where um, it's rather compartmentalized, and I'll take you through all of the different steps and series of each compartment to really, really make sure that I don't lose anybody, right? Um, If you are new here, and this is the first time you are hearing my voice, thank you. For tuning in. As I said, I'm Sally. I'm the host of the Road to Match Day podcast. I am also the founder of Resi Prep 360. It is a program and a service that focuses on helping you, a prospective candidate, whether you are, um, a rising senior on the verge of graduating from pharmacy school, or maybe you're a new practitioner and someone who's been practicing a little bit as a pharmacist already, and you're interested in coming back to do a residency, I work with you in developing a personalized plan to help maximize your chances of success at phase one of the match. My track record in successfully helping place people doing this is rather stellar, um, but look me up. You can find me in all of your socials at ResiPrep360 or Sally Treori Walaka on LinkedIn. The first thing I want us to cover today is to review where you should be right now. I want to start with a checklist. What this checklist is going to encompass is what are some things that you should have taken care of by the time you are packing your bags to get to mid-year. There's a lot of work that kind of has to happen leading up to getting to mid-year. And one of those first things I believe is, first of all, have you been able to register for Forecast? Forecast opened the first week of November And this is really the platform that you are going to leverage and use in order to apply for residency programs, Um, residency programs that are accredited or going to be using Forecast as their main application portal. So by the time you're listening to this, you should have at least created that account and been registered for Forecast. Once you've registered for Forecast and have access to the platform, the next thing you should be doing is immediately, I believe, is getting your references keyed in and tuned up to send off. This is important for a few reasons, because leading up to this moment, um, the August, September, October season should have really been spent um, with you identifying people you believe are going to be able to speak to you as a candidate, as a learner. Um, These references are going to hold a lot of power and weight in the selection committee's decision to offer you an interview and subsequently their decision to rank you. Um, And so picking people that you are absolutely sure are going to provide you with stellar letters of recommendations, it's imperative to your journey and maximizing your success. So I think that once forecast opens and you go ahead and tune those people up, And forecast and send them those requests, they get an alert in their inbox to let them know that there's a recommendation that they need to fill out. And they can kind of start planning on when they're going to do that. The reason why doing this early is so important, it's because November, December, these are holiday months, right? So if you are dealing with somebody who works in academia, you have to remember that they're going to be in and out of their offices for weeks at a time during this holiday season. So it's imperative that you're putting these requests in their inboxes as quickly as possible so that they can time prioritize and and time manage around when to get these references in. Because one of the things that I hate to have happen to you is you have to drop a program because a reference is coming in too late or you're nervous that it's not going to make the deadline. So that's the second piece of forecast that's important to have completed by now. The third thing also related to forecast that I think is important is your transcript request. Make sure that you are submitting transcript requests for the same reason. Transcripts go through or transcripts request, they go through the registrar's office, which is an administrative office. And these offices are going to close for the holiday season. Again, the key here being that I don't know of a single program that is going to be understanding that any component of your application is late. And so acting early and acting quickly and making sure that that transcript request is in and that your school's administration is going to send that off before you even live for mid-year, beautiful. That's going to be such a relief for you that you don't need to worry about that. Once you have all of these different components taken care of, now it's the active part that's left up to you. It's about going through forecast and filling it out. The biggest advice and tip that I have for you about how to do this is be detailed. Um, I really want you to take the time and energy to describe your activities, to describe your involvement and to describe your contributions with different things that you were involved in as a student pharmacist or as a new practitioner. Because your CV is such an abbreviated document, right? Many of you that have done a lot of amazing work are kind of concerned about the length of your CV and you're worried that like, oh gosh, my CV is so long. They're not going to read the Thing, And so forecast gives you an opportunity to really describe some of these service learning activities or special projects that you worked on. So that in the event that a program is interested in learning more about what you've done, they're able to go and read about that. The thing I encourage all of the people I work with to think about is this. If a program wants more information about something you worked on, something you've done, a project you've been involved in, if they wanted more information on that, what would you rather be the case that they can easily find the information and read about it? Or they're going to struggle and just be like, Oh, I don't even know. Maybe we'll ask them at the interview or maybe we won't. You want to make this as easy as possible for your reviewer so that if they are looking for additional information, by all means, make sure that the information is there and it's available to them. That's really on the forecast front. Those are the different things that I would say that's where you should be right now. That's where your energy should be focusing on right now and just making sure that you're working on forecast. The last forecast tidbit I have is that just like everything else I've been talking about all season, if you follow me on social media, I talk to you about the fact that this process is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I really want you to have that same energy when going through forecasts. Divvy it up. Um, take your background information. Do that in one afternoon. Then go through your extracurriculars and be detailed and descriptive. Take another afternoon to do those components and that part of your application. I think that taking the time to do this up front, you're going to be glad and you're going to be thankful that you've done so that. That concludes my tidbit on forecast and what should be happening with forecasts at this point. Hey, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We are dedicated to bringing a myriad and diverse amount of content to you six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. And it is all driven by pharmacists, educating pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, sharing Pharmacy professionals helping to build the better and future pharmacy care model. Tune in, go subscribe on all platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you for all that you do. Welcome back. So the next component... Of your survival guide to mid year, that I want to talk to you about is your CV. Before you get to mid year, I think it's important, it's imperative that you have a really good working first draft of your CV. The reason for this is you don't know who you are going to meet at mid year, right? And it probably is a good idea for me to just take a step back really quickly and describe what mid year is because. I'm always surprised by this, that some of you are going to mid-year and you think that it's just like another conference. Um, Let me help you paint a picture for you really quickly. Um, It's not just another conference. It's like the conference, right? It is by far the largest clinical conference in the profession. And the reason why mid-year has been, and I, I believe will continue to be such an important event, it's because of all of who's there um, the public's the public health service men and women are there industry folks are there clinical practice people are there um, research academia like, any functional area in pharmacy that you can think of, they're there, including people from overseas and international pharmacists. People are sharing their findings, their research work, unique things that they're discovering, innovative practices that they've tried at their hospitals that's been able to help them meet a goal that they think could be um, reproducible on a larger scale at other institutions. They want to bring it to mid-year and share it there. So this is a really Really big meeting, not just for you as a student, but even if you are a new practitioner, the networking opportunities that exist in the course of these five days are monumental. Like it's just, it's on a scale that you've never seen before. The plus side of that is you're going to be around so many people that have taken so many different roads and had different journeys and somehow has led them to this place here. And that makes for a great opportunity for you to learn from some unbelievable people about the unique things that they're doing. But it could also be at the same time a little intimidating. As a student pharmacist, mid-year for me, it was the very first time that I got a visual representation of the competition. And that was a little nerve wracking and I am a confident person, but this really, really messed with my head because with each of the programs I had on my list, when I went to meet them at the showcase, I was kind of like, oh my God, look at all these people that are here that are also interested in the in this program. How do I make sure that I stand out in this crowd? Um, have I even made a connection? Do I even was that conversation even meaningful? So there was a lot of self-doubt I think that I went through and a lot of stuff that I had to work through mentally um, to move forward and, and, and make sure that I stayed in my game. So for me having a cv that was ready so that when i had meaningful encounters and i encountered rpds that i had great conversations with whether i was interested in their programs or not i asked right i asked them i have a first copy of my cv that's ready would you mind taking a look at it and giving me a feedback as an rpd i would really value your input on what i can do to make my cv better I was shocked, Okay, I was shocked by how many RPDs said yes to this and really did get back to me with amazing feedback on how I could make my CV better. So my advice to you is you don't know who's going to say yes. You don't know who's going to say no. And for that reason, you have to pull up ready. If they want to see your CV, you want to be able to produce something that is in really good condition that they can look at that's going to give them a really good overview of the caliber of candidate that you are. That's my tip on why having a good working CV by mid-year is so important. The next thing I believe that you should be working, you should be having and getting ready for now is once you get to mid-year, I need you to really take a minute to work on your mental game, work on your mental stamina and your mental toughness. Applying for residency is going to be a challenging journey. And I don't think it's challenging just because of all of the running around you have to do at mid-year, the sessions you may have to attend and things like that. But again, you're going to be seeing for the first time what the competition actually looks like. There are over 20,000 people that attend mid-year, something crazy like that. So I want you to have and develop your own personal game plan. Everybody I work with, We go through this. We have a schedule for every day. Take a look at the floor plan for the showcase. Really make sure that you know this is the first booth I'm going to stop at. This is These are the questions I have for that booth. This is the second booth I'm going to go to. These are the questions I have for that booth. This is the question I have for this program. Um, I've been emailing with the resident from this particular program for the last few weeks and the vibe's been amazing. I just want to show up and introduce myself. And, and just vibe with that resident again in person. These are all things that I believe will absolutely make a difference in your game and make a difference in the type of candidate you're going to be. So take a minute and really get your mental game in order and run your race. Like focus on the lane that you are in and blaze that. But if you start focusing on what everyone else is doing you're missing an opportunity for you and how you can prepare. Now once we've got that out of the way the biggest event for you as a student or a prospective candidate applying for residency is going to be getting ready for the for residency showcase. Getting ready for the showcase In addition to looking at the floor pen and all those different things, there's one thing. But once you are actually at the showcase, I think it's really important that you dress professionally. How you show up and how you present yourself is very important. I don't care what you've been told. Um, It's important. First impressions are going to matter. So make sure that, you know, you look presentable, you look polished, you're well put together. Um, You're giving the impression that this is serious to you and you are serious about it. Right. I want you to think about preparing list of questions for each program. The way I recommend you do this is I think that there should be a series of questions that you ask every single program. By now, you should have a list of all of the programs you're interested in and you have a spreadsheet, whatever your strategy has been. You've been considering things like work-life balance, the number of positions that they offer. Perhaps their stipend is important to you. Um, Other things that people really think about that's important to them is whether or not the program offers PGY-2 and whether or not those PGY-2 programs early commit. These are. This is all information you should have somewhere that you've compiled about all of the programs you're applying to, to help you kind of separate your programs and see these are my top five, these are my top 10, these are the programs that I'm kind of iffy about, and I'll, I'll probably make a decision once I talk to them. So having a list of maybe three or four questions that every single program gets asked the same way. And then you compare their responses is important, right? And we'll talk about what some of those questions, what my suggestions for you are, what some of those questions are going to be in a second. So that's the other thing. The next thing I think you should think about or do is take a break after every single program encounter. If you speak to a program for five to 10 minutes after that encounter, write down and take the business card or QR code, however the program is doing it. But take a moment to reflect on that encounter and write it down. Write down how you feel. Write down what you learn about that person. Because these are all content that you can later call upon to draft your personalized and highly personalized thank you email that you're going to send either to the program RPD or the resident that you you spoke with. And please make no mistake about it. I don't have a recommendation for you to say that speaking to the RPD is going to be better than speaking to the resident. In fact, my recommendation is speak to the people whose shoes you're looking to fill. Talk to the residents. They're the people that are going to give you answers that will help you figure out if this place is for you or not. But taking a break after every single engagement is going to give you an opportunity to write down your notes and and, and reflect on every single encounter so that you have things you can call on later. Instead of sending some one-liner generic thank you email, you can actually draw upon the conversation you had with that resident or you had with that preceptor or you had with that RPD to make your thank you note stand out in the sea of thank you emails that they're going to receive in those short few weeks after mid-year. The next thing I think is really, really important about the showcase is you need to have good, comfortable shoes on. I don't know why we need to talk about this, but the showcase is in a is in a huge ballroom of a sort. And you need to be able to be comfortable and be able to walk around and not feel like, oh my God, my feet hurt. I'm exhausted. I'm just gonna sit down. That's not what you need here. So be comfortable, wear comfortable shoes and That's going to really, really make a difference. I think when you're comfortable, you give people your energy, like you're not really thinking about the discomfort and you're engaged in what they're saying. I'm going to pause here. And when we come back, the thing I want to talk to you about are pointers on how to introduce yourself when you walk up to the showcase booth. How do you make sure that you engage with the program in a way that is not just professional, but It is going to be something that you can deliver confidently because it's going
0: to be short and sweet and it's going to do the trick. Ever wonder why we wash our hands, brush our teeth, but ignore the idea of cleaning our nose? Do you know that 80% of all respiratory illness starts in the nose? And do you suffer from allergies, a dry nose or sinus issues? Maybe you use a CPAP or travel frequently. If so, you need the newest and best product in nasal healthcare and well-being. Nasal Cleanse is a comfortable and convenient way to clean and moisturize your nose at home or on the go. The unique cleansing wand is like a gentle toothbrush for the nose. And with the specially formulated antiseptic gel, Nasal Cleanse offers triple action relief of nasal symptoms. Gentle cleansing, reducing germs and soothing moisturizing action. Nasal Cleanse for a fresh, clean, healthy nose. Listeners receive 20% off on all products. Go to NasalCleanse.com, that's N-A-S-O-C-L-E-N-Z.com, and enter promo code P-P-N-4-N-A-S-O. Nasal Cleanse is also available on Amazon.
1: Welcome back. This is episode two to Your Road to Match Day. Um, We've talked about a few different things right now, preparing you for the showcase. So now I want to get into what do you do now that you are at the booth at the showcase? How do you introduce yourself? How do you walk up confidently and engage? I have a little acronym. I just say I have a saying is keep it simple, keep it brief and make it bold. Your elevator pitch, so to speak, I think needs to be very simple. It needs to be very brief and needs to be very bold. There are so many people that are at the booth that are all pursuing the same thing. What you don't want is to monopolize the time of the person engaging with you. Some of these booths only have one resident or two resident that needs to speak to 20 people. Sometimes they're going to grab you all in a group. Don't be the person in the group that's going to just ask all the one million and one questions or just not give others in the group an opportunity to chime in and ask questions. So be mindful and self-aware in that sense. But as far as your introduction go, it should be simple, brief and bold. For example, right? You could say something like, hello, Dr. Strange. My name is Sally Treyari. Thank you so much for participating in the showcase for this unique opportunity to meet you and engage with your resident. I'm a final year student pharmacist at Marvel University, passionate about ambulatory care and the variety of rotations offered by your program is something that is of great interest to me. May I ask you a few questions about your program's structure Right. So something like this I think sets you up for a great encounter. It's very simple. It's not very intense. It doesn't give off the vibe of like you're about to just devour them um, or bombard them with one million and one question. But you notice that you shared something about yourself. You shared that you're interested in ambulatory care, but you also shared with them that they have rotation opportunities that are of interest to you as someone who wants to specialize in ambulatory care. I think that it's a great opportunity, but having an introduction that is very short, that is very sweet and to the point, it's going to be something that is very important that I think could be a great differentiator between yourself and others that are just pulling up and saying, hi, how are you? And then going right into, oh, so tell me about your year, right? Asking them question is something I believe like you're going to build your way to, and it should be like a systematic approach to it. So now that you've introduced yourself and you've asked if it's okay to ask them a few questions or is it okay? Um, you can now structure the different questions. I think some questions that could be great questions to ask RPDs or things like, what are some characteristics you look for in a prospective candidate to possess? This gives you a really great idea about what this RPD is looking for in candidates based on the structure of their program, right? Um, And something else that I think is a really fair question to ask RPDs is, how has COVID-19 affected your program's curriculum and the learning experiences of the program? So maybe there was an elective that they used to be able to offer and as a result of the pandemic or um, staffing changes um, staff turnover, they no longer have that rotation. That's very important information for you to have up front, so you're making informed decisions. Um, another question I love when candidates ask is, what are things that past residents have gone on to do after completing their PGY-1 in your program? This is a fair question. This is an important question. You want to know people who complete this residency program what do they go on to do? Because that's going to give you a really great idea about the types of things that the program prepares their residents for. And it could give you a lot of insight as, well, that's something that I would love to be able to be ready to take on. Um, what changes do you expect in your program in the next year? Very important question. Um, It happens more often than you think that RPDs are expecting a baby and they're going to be away from the residency program for 80% of the year. Um, If they're comfortable with sharing that, they may, they may not have to share it, but it's possible that an RPD has put in their two weeks notice, but they are at mid-year. They may come and tell you, well, we are recruiting for a new RPD. It will actually not be me, but it's going to be somebody who's been a preceptor with the program that knows knows the program that knows the values of the program and and you as a prospective candidate it's imperative that you know that you're pretty much coming into a brand new residency program because this is a new RPD and being an RPD versus being a preceptor in that is a little different. But that's information that's very important for you to have and and, and know in your decision making process, right? So changes that the program is expecting to happen in the next year, absolutely fair questions to ask an RPD in my opinion. Those are some of the questions I think should be asked in RPD, and I hope that you take a couple of these, one or two of these, to ask them. The next group of people that I think you should have questions to ask are the residents. Residents hold a lot of power in this application process. They are in the position that you want, they know the type of candidates they were. They will likely be the first people to read your letter of intent and make recommendations to your RPD. And so knowing about them and knowing what the journey was like for them, building relationships and rapport with the residents imperative. I encourage you right now, if you have not reached out and established contact with residents to do so, because they hold a lot of power in this process and at least getting your foot in the door. Asking those residents questions also about what their journey was like or where they are today could be really, really powerful and important information for you so that you can you can kind of see how you need to move about it. Because make no mistake about it. I want to say it here to you right now. And I hope you hear me on this. Programs perform for you, they will perform for you. You are the one who has to do the due diligence to make sure that you know programs that are being genuine and are truly interested in you as a person and a candidate versus a program that's just trying to fill their quotas, they don't wanna do a phase two, they're just trying to fill residency positions and they're not gonna care about you and who you are as an individual. One of the most powerful ways that you can find out if a program is a fit for you is by speaking with the residents and listening to what they have to say about what their journeys were like so far. And to learn that, you have to ask some very intelligent questions. You have to ask some insightful questions. You have to ask them questions that force them to reflect in order to give you a response that you can then turn into actionable items for you in your decision, in your decision making process. Starting out with asking them overall what their year has been like so far. That is a fair question. It's a very ground level question. Just tell me about what the year has been like so far. By December, most of the residents should be licensed. They should be able to talk to you about how much support um, they received through their licensing process. Um, They should be able to talk to you about challenges and balancing and time managing because it's one of the biggest transitions from students to new practitioners. They should be able to run you through all those things. One of the other questions that I think is important for you to know is mentorship in the program, right? Does the program have a formal mentorship program in place or is mentorship more just like... You build a relationship with somebody and you pursue the mentorship relationship yourself, or does the program actually have a structured mentorship program that they promote, that they nurture, that they cultivate? And so the RPD kind of oversees that as well and makes sure that the program is meeting the needs of each resident Um, and residents are being paired with mentors that line up with the residents' goals, Uh, this is an important question to find out if the program does or doesn't have that. Um, research projects, MUEs, longitudinal projects, short-term projects. Ask the residents, right? What is the process of selecting your project? Have you selected a project yet? What is your project about? These are all ways for you to build relationship with the resident. Asking them what their project is and whether or not they're presenting that at this meeting and whether or not you can go see their poster. Relationship building, right? They, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to do that. And so I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to ask them those questions, ask them about their project, what their project was about, what they're working on, and express genuine interest in wanting to learn more about them and what they're working on. The preceptor oversight during their training. The reason why this is important is everybody doesn't have the same learning style. Some of you need that oversight because you're still building your confidence. And a lot of you are genuinely going to be scared of hurting a patient because you just think that there's so much decision. The responsibility of having a person's life in your hand can really be daunting. This is okay. Like I still remember my first recommendation that I made that was accepted And how nervous I was about that because I couldn't believe that they were going to do what I told them to do. It's a big responsibility. Right. So how much preceptor oversight is there? Is this a program that kind of gradually gives the resident independence as the resident's confidence builds, as the resident's skill level builds? Or is this a program that kind of is just going to push you out there and force you to grow up quickly and force you to build your wings as you're flying mid-flight? This is important information for you to know so you can be mentally prepared for that. If that is the type of environment you're learning and thrive in, you may have just found a fit. But if you are the type of person where you need that oversight as you're building your confidence, as you're building your skill level, a program where they kind of just force you to figure it out on your own more time than they guide, that may not be a good fit for you. Talking to the residents and asking them questions about that, the preceptor oversight, their relationships with their preceptors, Um, how does the program handle it when you have challenges with preceptor um, teaching and learning style mismatches, when those things occur, which they will occur, but asking if, if the program has something in place where they help navigate that uncertainty a little bit for you could be very important. And I think lastly, and certainly not least, asking the resident what advice they have for you as a person who's about to embark on this process um, is important, right? People love to talk about themselves and people love to feel like what they think matters and is valued. Ask the residents about their advice, ask the residents about any wisdom that they may have for you. I think that this is one of the best relationship building techniques. And also, this is where you're going to have the best thank you email content come from. Because whatever advice they give you, guess what? When you are thanking them, you can refer right back to what that advice was and thank them via email again. And it makes the email so much more personable. Those are the questions that I think you should ask. These are going to be the two people who asking questions during the showcase is going to be super, super, super important. The asking the RPD the right questions and then asking the current residents the right question. So now I want to talk to you about what happens after the showcase, after mid-year is over, right? I've already touched on the thank you emails a little bit, but sending an email, like when we went through this, we were recommended handwritten notes. We now know that they see so many people, the programs speak to so many people at the showcase. It is, it is highly, highly unlikely that they will remember you specifically from the showcase. But what they'll remember is that you took the time to send a thank you email, and that is something that is a professional courtesy that you didn't have to do, and I think that there's still a place for that, Um, and I I strongly recommend that you do it. Send a thank you email to everybody that you saw at the showcase. Um, The RPD gets an email, even if you did not speak to the RPD at the showcase, and I'll tell you why. Programs are not obligated to participate in the showcase. They basically only participate in the showcase out of courtesy to you. Because I think that they don't have to be there and um, the RPDs are not required to be there, their presence at the showcase, I think sending them an email to thank them for participating in the showcase and for giving you that opportunity to meet them and engage with them, I think it's going to make a very good impression on them, even if... um, Even if you didn't get an opportunity to speak with them directly at the showcase, just a quick email to thank them for their time at the showcase. So now the last thing I really wanted to talk about here is what if you are a person who couldn't go to mid-year, right? Right. Mid-year is an expensive and an incredible financial commitment through a process that is equally expensive. Um, It costs money to enroll in the match. It costs money to pay for forecasts. It costs money to travel to final rounds interviews if they are on site, right? There's a lot of money involved with this process. And for some people, Um, financially, it just isn't feasible for them to go to mid-year. So if you are one of those people and you want to know how to navigate this phase um, and to, you know, not let your your chance of not being able to go to mid-year play against you, or you feel like it puts you at a disadvantage, these are my recommendations about the things that you should do or can do in order for you to still be in this and not feel like you've lost anything. One of the first things that I believe is contacting the RPD of any program you're interested in before mid-year to let them know that due to financial reasons, you will not be at mid but you are eager to apply to their program and you think that their program is a great fit for what your professional and personal goals are. Establishing contact with that RPD to tell them that you are interested in their program and would love an opportunity to engage with their residents, either through virtual or a phone call, I think is going to be the biggest thing that you can do to still keep yourself in this. I personally am unaware of any RPD who sees attending mid-year as a deal breaker. I don't know any personally. Um, and I don't, think that that's the sentiment because I think um, many RPDs know that mid-year is expensive and I don't think that they are going to turn down an excellent candidate that they know is a fit for their program that has the goal, the drive, and has pretty much done everything they need to do to keep themselves and make themselves competitive as a candidate. They're not going to turn you away because you didn't spend two thousand dollars for a five-day meeting as a student, right? And so don't count yourself out because you can't go to mid-year. But I think clearly communicating with the RPD and asking for that shot at interacting with the residents or emailing the residents, whether these are LinkedIn messages or official emails in their mailboxes, establishing contact with the RPD to say, here's why I'm looking for an opportunity to engage with your residents um, in a non-traditional way. It's because I can't afford to go to mid-year. There's no shame in it. I think that it's very expensive. Mid-year is. And if you're a person who's a candidate on the East Coast, you are traveling across country this year all the way to California, which will not be cheap for for you as a candidate traveling from the East Coast. Um, It's expensive for everybody, depending on what part of the country you're in. But I just think about the East Coast people because you're going to be the folks traveling the furthest distance. That's all. These are my tips on how to survive mid-year for this year. And I am everywhere on your socials. I will be everywhere on your socials continuing the conversation. My inbox is always open, info at resiprep.com. Um, and if you're on LinkedIn, my inbox always is open as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Road to Match Day, and I wish you nothing but success. And if you need any assistance, um, look for Resi Prep at tiktok resi prep 360 on instagram at resi prep 360 and on the youtube channel where i have plenty of other tutorials similar to this thank you so much and if you see me at midyear please come up and say hi i look forward to hearing about everybody's match success day until next month bye Thank you for tuning in on this episode of the Road to Match Day series. We hope you learned something new on this episode um, that will help you along your journey to securing the postgraduate position of your dream. Help us reach more prospective candidates by telling your friends, your students, and your colleagues about the show. Next, leave us a comment and a review. This helps us identify topics that you find relevant, that you'd like us to get into more or invite more guests to talk about in more detail, or perhaps you want a guest to return because you had so much fun. Don't forget to leave us a comment and let us know all about that. Thank you for listening to the show today and we hope you'll tune in again. Thank mm-hmm. you.